0: Pain is a normal part of the human experience, right? Mm -hmm. If I can't feel the hot stove, that's a problem. However, that doesn't mean that we have to accept like, I can't lift my three-year-old because my back hurts. Mm -hmm. But there's all these factors that interplay with pain. And one of the things we know is generally people that are just more active at baseline are stronger, generally are able to work around some of those issues a little bit more successfully.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. (laughs) Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community, and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching, and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp, and 100% accountability with me, including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical, and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Claire. Today my guest is Justin Farnsworth, Dr. Justin Farnsworth. He is the Director of Rehab at Pain-Free Performance, and he is a board-certified sports physical therapist. He is also a husband and a father. Hello, Justin. Welcome to the pod.
0: Claire, what is up? Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Good to see you again two days later after I was just in Austin. Yeah. I, know, I Absolutely epic event at Onnit. That was probably one of my favorite of all time that I had done. And I've done a lot of these, a lot.
1: I couldn't believe the fact that you delivered information for mm, 17 hours over the course of two days by yourself and managed to keep the entire room engaged. Like That was... Absolutely. Like, I mean, I immediately went and messaged uh, the creator of pain free because I was like, you need to know that this guy like smashed it. Like I did, I take certifications and go do whatever. And like you delivered the information in a way that wasn't overwhelming, but was entertaining and kept us going up. I mean, like it was impressive. So thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, honestly, thank you so much for that. Um, we try to over deliver like our, the people that come to our courses deserve that. Our clients deserve that. Um, the energy in the room. I mean, when you got you got sixty plus people, there's just energy, and you yeah. just take it up a notch. You can't mimic that with a smaller crowd. But um, I'm not going to lie. I flew back on Monday, and I think I slept on both flights. And then I still need another ten hours. And I was still pretty dead yesterday. So I'm I'm finally feeling normal today uh, after this weekend. But it was a it was a great event. So.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was so good. And it was held on it. And there were like over 60 attendees of the, um, certification course. So it was like really well attended. And yeah, I, I, that was really fun. That was actually for the sake of movement. That was my first certification outside of the CrossFit space. And so I have three certifications within that world. And then this was the first one stepping outside of that, but still movement. And so it was a really cool compliment um, I mean, but, but also Eric, um, has taken the course three or four times now. And he says, I'll continue to take it because they add to it, they change it. And I get so much out of it each and every time. And so he came and attended this past weekend and he stated like, I'll go back again. So that speaks very highly to the course itself.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Eric's such a great guy. It was so cool also to have like a lot of the on staff there. Um, everyone oh. there was just amazing. We had, we had a great time. I actually, I cannot wait to go back. So hopefully it's me next year. We rock and roll. We get another 60, 70 people in the room and we just, we crush it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully the weather is a little bit more kind. Not that it was like unkind, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't what we have to offer.
0: Well, you know what coming from a Western New Yorker, it was warm for me. I still had <laughs> shorts and sandals on.
1: <laughs> okay. So usually I'd like out. to Yeah. We, it was like 30 something the first day. I think no one else had shorts on, but (laughs) so, okay. I like to start the episode with the how we met, but we just like, we did that. So we literally had not known one another prior to this, but then it was actually the reason I even asked you to come on the podcast is because on Monday afternoons, I do a call with my coaching clients as like this big group call. And one of my clients, uh, deals regularly with pain in her, uh, knees and things like that. And anyway, so we were just discussing some of that on that call, and I was like, "Let me see if I can actually have Justin just come onto the podcast because this information was so valuable to me, and I feel like everyone is going to benefit so much from anything that you can help them with on this topic because we're all dealing with pain." So, I actually want you to just kind of open up with some of the statistics that you opened up with in the course about pain and people dealing with pain. And and so if you want to just kind of start there.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. So I I mean, a little bit of my background, right? So I've been a clinician, I have a doctor of physical therapy going on about 12 to 13 years. Um, And before that, I was in the fitness space. I did high level sports performance. I was a coach, started my coaching career at 13 years old. So I always tell people I've been in the industry for over 20 years. It's true. 35, I've been coaching since I was 13. So I was that I was an athlete I then got my doctoral degree. So I've had these kind of interesting, eclectic experiences where I was the injured person. I was the athletic person. And then I'm the person getting those people better. So I've been through like all those realms. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting when we, when we start these courses, you know, you ask the room of health professionals, of coaches, like, hey, how many of you right here, right now have pain? Like have a thing that you have to work around in the gym. And every single time, 90% of the hands in the room go up. The other 10% are lying, of course, Uh, because the reality is, you know, we we say this, pain is a normal part of the human experience, right? Mm -hmm. If I can't feel the hot stove, that's a problem. However, that doesn't mean that we have to accept, like, I can't lift my three-year-old because my back hurts. Mm -hmm. But there's all these factors that interplay with pain. And one of the things we know is generally people that are just more active at baseline are stronger generally are able to work around some of those issues a little bit more successfully. So, you know, not to be morbid off the bat, but it's like everything else being even what's the biggest predictor of you being able to stay alive and functional on this earth. The number one predictor is strength. It's not the food you eat. It's not how much sleep you get. It's not how you manage your stress. Those are important, but all those being equal, number one predictor is strength. And then we look at our stats in America, right? 27% of Americans perform zero physical activity. I'm not even talking exercise. I'm talking getting off the couch and going for a walk. One, almost a third of us perform zero physical activity. And then you look at how much money we shift. We we were talking before we started the podcast, how much money we spend as a country on healthcare, Mm -hmm. which is really sick care, right? Because if you look at companies like United Healthcare, I know I said this, United Healthcare is one of the Richest companies in the country and the world, a healthcare company, they spend one to two percent of their entire billions of dollars budget, one to two percent on prevention, one to two percent on trying to prevent the things which we know we can do, by the way. We can prevent diabetes, we can prevent heart disease, we can, relatively outside of genetic control that we don't have control over, like prevent things like strokes and chronic disease. I mean, Chronic disease are lifestyle issue related things, but what's the most money we spend money on like in the healthcare systems? Chronic disease. Um, They don't spend money on it. They wait till it's wrong and then we try to fix. But the reality is nothing is good as the original. And if we can just move the the marker towards getting people to take a little bit more ownership, be a little bit more active, this doesn't mean we have to go do CrossFit. This doesn't mean we have to lift heavy weights seven times a week. It's really taking like those 30 to 40% of people that do nothing. And just like walking a couple times a week, introducing mm-hmm. to successful like resistance training, which could just be their body weight. Like that is really where um, I think our industry has to start going and where our country as a whole has to start going. Because you and me, like as, as much as I don't like saying this, I mean, like we're kind of in the 1%. Like I, I train six, to seven days a week. You probably do yeah. too. We're close. But like how many days a yeah. week do your clients really train? Mm-hmm. Two. Three, like and we're so we're trying to take like those markers and just move them a little bit more towards the let's do a tad more get a little bit stronger um, preventative measures you know mm-hmm. and the last stat I'll say is you know when it comes to longevity you know dying young at an old age as I like to say being a badass when you're 80 yeah your health in middle age predicts your health at end of age so it's like what you do right now is either digging yourself a hole or putting deposits in your bank account, that when you're older, you can live a fun life. Like, mm-hmm. and we know we can do that right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, I call the health care system, <laughs> like a health uncare system, because you're right. Prevention isn't even like a topic of conversation there. And then, and then what you touch on that I love there about, our industry just needing to make positive shifts. You know, I, I do coach clients remotely and a lot of my coaching is actually mindset. I do offer the nutrition and the movement and all of that, you know, the programming is there. Um, but so much of it is what's going on in between the ears. Cause if we can't get fixed that, like we've just we've not done anything. And, uh, so with my clients, my challenge to them, to the best of my ability is intentional movement, Every single day, I give them the programming with the strength training and, you know, if they want it for performance, we've got that. But my ask of them every single day is to literally at least go for a walk like I'm like if you if you haven't done anything else all day because sometimes our nervous system is overwhelmed with all of the other stress factors in life and sometimes actually going and like crushing it in the gym just like isn't the move and I know that you know that you know so I'm like I on those days I am not asking you to even go to the gym go put on your sweatpants put on the biggest hoodie you have whatever make yourself as invisible as possible and go walk around your neighborhood go walk around somewhere foreign whatever just walk like that's and so I loved during the cert. I remember you referencing you know, how powerful walking is because I am just on this like, you know what, on the days that you're up for it, like let's get it. but let's at least intentionally move. And and that makes it so much more approachable. Like I feel like for someone who isn't currently intentionally moving, the idea of suddenly adopting a regimen of five to six days a week like we're doing, you know, or it's just it's so far from current reality. And so how do we make it more? approachable so
0: 100 percent. and it's about getting those people off of looking at instagram because you go on instagram you'll see like all influencer type people like do this do this do this and it's like no like we need to take 10 steps back and just get them to move their body through space
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a couple
0: times a week start mm-hmm. there and make them successful with that
1: Yeah. And then, and then if we even want to go a layer deeper, which I don't know that I want to get too far into that. And here I am stepping my toe in, oopsie, is just like so much of that content too, is not actually what they're doing day in, day out. Like it looks good and it looks like catches your eye, but is that actually what they're doing to get the results that they have? And far too often that answer is no. And so that's just misleading as hell, but um, anyway I, I don't i don't know it's just it's food for thought um so <laughs> i do want to kind of launch into day 1 of the cert which was you spent i don't know 8 hours talking about a 12 minute warm up and what you said that i feel like this analogy is beautiful Is simply saying you're taking the parking break off. When you were talking about what you do in a warmup and how important the warmup to whatever you're going to do movement-wise is so important and how anybody can do it, you know, within 12 minutes. And you broke it down for eight hours and gave us so much information that I so appreciate. But just even you know, taking it back to that simplicity piece of it's simply taking the parking break off. So I kind of want you to just spend a little bit of time on why is a warm up such an important piece of movement for anyone who's choosing to go intentionally move their body? And what are some maybe tangible takeaways that we could format into a handful of minutes versus eight hours for someone?
0: Yeah. So it's about how can we transition from my, I sat at a desk for eight hours in a car for another one to two on the way to work. How can I bridge the gap from no movement to I'm ready to do something actionable, whether that's in the gym, whether that's yoga, at home, whatever. I'm ready to move my body. Like, how do we prep and prime the nervous system? Um, and too often we have kind of this either end of the spectrum. We have the, well, the cheetah doesn't warm up when they run. So neither am I, right? Because mm. I'm a cheetah. Well, no, you're not. And then we have <laughs> the other end where it's like my whole workout is a warm up and I forgot to maybe do sustainable things that'll get me progress in the long term right so you know we talk about should we warm up the answer is yes like the research is pretty consistent with when you perform a dynamic warm-up you reduce your risk of training injuries but you also positively affect your performance so you get like it's called a win-win in my mind like Mm. you win on both ends of the spectrum Um, but how can we make that warm-up actionable well number one we have to make it like feel good so you know People like feeling good. So we talk about our phase one and two stuff, which is a very parasympathetic, like kick on recoverability aspects, kick on aspects that help people manage pain first. So yeah, we spent some time talking about foam rolling. We control, delete, we take off that parking brake. We just make people feel good, but we do it quickly and it's very intentional. So you'll find a lot of warmups. Walk into any gym, watch people warm up if they do. It's usually a few minutes on a treadmill, like one or two stretches, and then like let's rock and roll. And that's Mm -hmm. not inherently bad. Like, I guess it's better than nothing, but could we take that a step further and make it better than just the walking on the treadmill? And the answer is we absolutely can. So -hmm. we spend a little time on the foam roll, targeting the thing that feels tight. We spend a little time stretching. When I say a little time, two minutes, two minutes on the thing that we dictate is the biggest, like low hanging fruit that'll make my training session better. For a lot of people, that's probably their hip flexors, their pecs, their T-spine, those postural things that get, quote unquote, tight when we're Mm -hmm. just not moving our body all day. But then we have kind of like also this mental shift aspect. It's how can I be where I am mentally to get the result that I told you as my coach that I wanted? I want to lose five pounds. How can I do that mentally and mentally shift to be where I am? Because we all know we are more distracted than we probably ever have been in history. Screens, phones, Apple Watch—like everything zinging at us—and it's hard to be where you are. So, how can we input things into that warm-up, that system, to get you to mm-hmm. be where you are? And that's really why we get to like our phases three and four. We do some correctives. We make you feel your ass and your shoulders, and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh man, six to eight minutes in, this kind of feels like a workout." Like I feel like I'm I'm bridging this gap between rolling around on the floor in a foam roll. And about Mm -hmm. to like lift some weights. Um, And then we spend some time practicing the thing you're gonna do. If you're gonna do a squat pattern, well, we squat a little bit. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, phase six is my favorite um, because I am biased towards being maybe more athletic because we lose power Uh quicker than strength. We lose speed quicker than strength. Um, And we know that's important as we get older, but it's like everyone should be like an athlete. Doesn't mean we all have to jump off the floor, but we should all move relative to ourselves, our bodies fast through space. And you know, I said this Mm -hmm. in the course and I'll say it here. It's like we spend 20 years playing sports and then we spend the next 60 to 80 never being athletic again. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So we talk about fall risk, injury prevention, like those things require fast movement. So then it's like, hey, we make you feel like an athlete. You know, and in the end of the day, it's not so much about the ins and outs of how to do this perfectly, but it's about how can we take someone who doesn't have a physical practice, who has chronic pain, And how can I make them feel like ready? How can I make them feel like a badass and do it effectively and quickly so we can get a training effect? Uh, And that's really what our six-phase warm-up is is really built around and why we spend so much time talking about it. You know, the reality is, could you go sit on a treadmill or a bike and just walk for a few minutes? Sure. But is that going to give you the result that you said you wanted? Probably not as much as something that's a lot more custom
1: hmm Yeah. Yeah. And so the, you guys have a six-phase phase warm-up that takes 10 to 12 minutes to go through. And this is what you spoke to before the episode, but why it is so important to have a coach. And I just am a big fan of that. <laughs> uh, I, I think if I had learned to be coachable many years earlier, I probably would have saved a lot of trouble. And I'm at peace with the fact that we're here now, so we're good. But finally understanding the importance of having a coach and how many obstacles that coach can remove from from your way if you're just willing to allow somebody to help you. Um so you you do the warm up, you do the foam roll, then you start to activate the things that are actually going to be used during the workout and and you actually start to use a little bit of power and we could work through these phases of this warm up before we actually do the workout which I feel like the warm up is entirely a part of the workout and you can't do one without the other. But I didn't always feel that way and there were years where I didn't warm up at all and Anyway, uh, so I do want to kind of go – unless there's anything else about the warm-up that you want to be sure and address, then I want to kind of move from there to some other questions.
0: Just don't skip your warm-up. That's it. Yeah. You're late to the gym. Cut off the stuff in the back end because it's about not that one session. It's about training forever or working yeah. out or being active forever.
1: So what's the best resource other than coming and taking your certification, which goes into far, far depth of what would be something resource wise for somebody who's like, okay, well, I don't skip my warm up. Uh, What do I do now? I mean, I listened to you guys briefly talk about this, but that was, that was a lot really fast. And like, I didn't understand any of that, you know, that's very okay. But so like what resources would you encourage as someone who really specializes in this to tell them to go take a look at, to get a better understanding of how to warm up?
0: Um, honestly, we put out a lot of free education through our channels. I mean, our Instagram, it's at pain free training. Yes, of mm-hmm. course, we're a continuing education company, so we sell our business, like right, our education. Um, but we put out a ton of free stuff. Um, I know mm-hmm. Logan, Logan is our director of education. They actually put together a thirty day like mobility warm up ebook that took them a while that we released for free through our Instagram. Um, So I would highly recommend go check those out. Obviously, coming and taking a course is much more in depth, but for those people that can't, don't have the time, check us out on Instagram. Um, Facebook, we're there as well, but we tend to put more free education out on the Instagram channel. Um, With that, we have probably 10 to 12 coaches. So you have myself, you have Logan, you have Cliff, you have John, you have Kevin, you have Roman, you have Ginny, you have Dan, you have Tasha, I know I'm going to forget someone in there, but we have a whole slew of coaches that all have a a relatively good following. And all of our Instagrams are about the same. It's putting out education on how Mm -hmm. we could do things a little bit better. And those would honestly be my recommendations. That stuff's all free. It's there on Instagram.
1: I love it. I love it. And that, by the way, guys, I usually, we touch on this at the end of the show, but here we are now, and this is great. So that will all be in the show notes. So for any of you who just heard that, those recommendations, his uh, Instagram himself, and then also the the course itself, all of that will be in the show notes. So if you want to go from here, once you're done with the episode, don't you leave yet, then go to the show notes and get it. So, okay. A lot of people are living in chronic pain and They go to clinicians who then tell them, just don't ever do that again, whether it's squat or like you and I talked about, they're not even really using the term hinge, but pick something up off of the floor, you know, so what would you say because the the reality is as much as i'm kind of saying this in some sort of like joking manner this is a real thing and this is happening all over the place all the time and there will be people who listen to this episode who have been told to stop doing the thing that caused pain and it's a movement pattern that they need to be able to retain in life for quality of life and to not reach that fragility that you talk about avoiding as long as possible so what would you say to somebody who's received that type of um what sort of advice from a clinician?
0: All right, heavy sigh, here we go. So chronic pain, like, I think, first of all, I think it helps to understand, like, what is pain? Mm
1: -hmm. Like,
0: if we start understanding what the thing is, we can better respect that we don't have to be scared of it. So first of all, we have to appreciate pain does not equal harm, okay? Pain, and this was literally redefined, I think it was in 2021, on what pain actually is. Pain is a unpleasant sensory and emotional. There's an emotional aspect to the sensory and emotional experience built around potential, which is an important word, or actual tissue damage. Right. So just because you experience pain doesn't mean you broke the thing that hurts. Number one. Yeah. Number two, you know, if you go to grad school, you get a doctorate degree as a clinician. You spend a year. Learning about the central nervous system. It is complex. And specifically when it comes to pain, it is extremely complex. The more we know about pain, the more we realize we don't know anything. Um, We have to appreciate a couple factors. Like pain is really all in your head. Not that you're making it up, but the output of the thing you feel is generated from up here. So there's a signal that comes up. You have this thing that gets sent to all of these secondary, tertiary, these third like stopping point processing centers. Then they all come back together and you get an output. So for example, um, there are things we know affect pain. Personality types, type A personalities tend to report high levels of pain at the same stimulus as type B. Um, The intention, like the words I use as a clinician have a positive or never negative effect on pain. Like if you tell someone, the flu shot's gonna hurt. Guess what? It hurts every single time. If you're like, "Hey, this won't feel like anything," it does. So, like, the intention we use is built around pain. Um, pain. We know, like, when you have it, when you have this cycle of like, "I hurt, I hurt," and you get an image, and you're told, "Well, there's nothing broken, right?" So either you're making it up, or like you're just gonna have to live with it. And here's a chemical that typically doesn't work and has worse side effects than the thing it was trying to help you with in the first place. But anyway, like. Pain, we know, you have it for a while, that, that area in your brain, we call that your homunculus. So there's a representation of every single body part that I have up here from a sensory perspective. And back pain is a good example. Like when I have people that have chronic back pain, it usually starts in a very specific area. Two to three to four years later, it's like, it does. it's not specific, it's like globulus. And now it's kind of like in my leg. And it's, it's not that more things are hurting, it's that we haven't broken that cycle of I feel the thing. Therefore, what happens when we hurt? We don't move, which usually hurts more, which means we don't move more. And then you have like this pain spasm inactivity cycle. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a a very quick overview of a very complex topic. That being said, um, one thing we know helps, I mean, gradual exposures are one of the most powerful ways to help someone who has a chronic pain point just feel better. Let me use this as an example. Okay. Someone that has back pain, maybe there was an incident, like they picked something up and they felt something, or maybe there was just like a, it's been hurting worse over time, right? It hurts to touch my toes. It hurts to bend and pick things up off the floor. It's like, okay, more times than not, we know they just could use like a little bit of reassurance they're going to be okay. Because a lot of things really end up being okay with proper integrations of moving and exercising without needing like surgical intervention. But how can I gradually expose them to that position that doesn't set the fire alarm up off up here. Right. Cause that's really what that chronic pain point is like, how can I not pick the scab for that thing? So there is that person, like the story I tell in the course of a guy who was told to never squat again, he was going to need a knee replacement, but he was too young for it. So just like go in the pool. But what do we do for him? We just put him in a better position. And then he's squatting. By the way, I
1: have this client right now. Like it's a different, she's has a different name. The same thing has occurred in her 30s, all of that. So, anyway, go ahead. But like, this is a very real normal thing.
0: Oh, very real. And the other thing, you know, we have to appreciate is it's normal to find abnormalities on images and not have pain. You know, it's only you only go to the doctor when something hurts. Then you find a thing that was probably already there. It's just now you have a pain point, and then we like say, Hey this thing is broken that's why you have pain we can't prove that and then you get surgery and surgery doesn't work and like no one addressed the underlying issue right so very common to have things wrong in multiple different areas um that individual we just put him in a a better position we exposed his body to a better position that was more uh adaptable for his anatomy like put his femurs and his hips where they were supposed to be based on some assessment and now he's squatting and he feels great then you have the other end of the spectrum people that have been in pain for 20 years. And it's like, we can't just do that. You know, they have this alarm going off in their head all the time when they move into a position. Um, What we do for them is we just gradually expose them to that position. So the person I like to use as the example, it hurts to forward bend and touch my toes. And that's hurt for 20 years. And they're like, every time I do that, my back, like I know I'm I'm blowing out a disc every time, right? Like These are just words we use to scare people. Then you sit Mm -hmm. them in a chair, sit in a chair, and then they touch their toes and their back feels fine. And you're like, it's the same position with a less, you know, less demand on your body as a whole, because you're sitting. And then what do we do, we just gradually re expose um, to forward bending. And all that does is it breaks this cycle of my brain kind of overreacts based on an exposure I had before. And we try to break that pain spasm, don't move cycle that happens. That is a lot more complex than just like the I've had a knee thing for a couple of years. Let's put you in a better position, get you stronger. It feels better. Um, A lot of Americans, however, are dealing with these chronic pain points. And it's really sad because they become defined by being that chronic pain person. And all of a sudden, they're like, I can't, I can't, I can't. When really our job is like, you can. Like our job is to find what's the hardest thing they can do well. I don't even care what it is. Let's say someone has back pain and they can't really do much of anything, but they can walk. Well, shit, why can't we have them start walking and build up walking volume and tolerance and then do the next thing, right? So, I think a lot of times in medicine and in fitness, we try to start with, like, hey, here's all the stuff you're bad at and this is why you hurt. Like, well, I I can get there, but why can't I start with, where are you successful? Because people Mm want to feel successful. That's an awesome feeling being able to do something when you've been told all these things you can't do.
1: Absolutely. So I just love it because it really, it makes it, it, you're like checking the boxes like, okay, you're doing it right. You know, of like really trying to like hear out what's actually going on and then where can we get our wins and if we can stack the wins and then the emotional side of pain is so I was telling you yet again, before we came on the podcast about how like, I intentionally expose myself to cold every morning through a three-minute getting in a cold plunge because I hate being cold. And I've learned that if I will like intentionally seek that pain, then when I'm cold, it's not as big of a deal. It's the same as when I'm doing a heavy split squat and the emotions that are attached to that pain. I even know, because I've been practicing for so many years, that the pain that I'm feeling that is evoking emotions to the point where I am like, whimpering, I actually know that I'm safe because I practiced the pattern so much. So I know that I'm, I'm okay. I'm moving in a pattern that, that is mechanically, we're good. I'm still feeling this sensation. So imagine if I didn't have that trust in myself in that way. Imagine if I hadn't built that, you know, I can just imagine that that pain would then tell me everything about this is super wrong. You're not okay. You're not safe. So instead I have to back it off and build it. And that's what progressive overload even is. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. uh, Okay. So I do then want to talk about posterior chain because, and, and we need to break this down too with like, where's our anterior, where's our posterior and why do you at Pain Free choose to emphasize so heavily how important like someone who just needs to move more what is our hierarchy of needs with our movements? And why do we need to spend so much energy on our posterior chain instead?
0: So we actually have a, um, we actually have a breakdown of a chart on this that I built probably two or three years ago. Uh, there's a lecture I gave. It was called the pain client slash the bridge client. Like, what do we do with clients who are in pain right now, like pretty severely to maybe their single clinician or that person that just hasn't been in the gym? Or they just came off of rehab. Like, what's our hierarchy of what we should be going after pattern-wise? And we really double down and say we go through the hinge and we go through the pull. So what are we really targeting? Well, the posterior chain, which is what? I mean, your calf, your hamstring, your glute, your lat, which for those of you that aren't familiar with anatomy, that's fine. Your butt and the thing that attaches to your butt, that's higher up. Like Your butt to your lat, those are the two biggest muscles in your entire body. And then all the stuff on the back part of the shoulder. And the reason why is, you know, it's a couple. Number one, um, everyone here on this this podcast, they know what a squat is. Like in their head, they can kind of, I know what a squat is. I know what a bench press looks like. But then we talk about this thing called a hinge pattern. And people are like, "Ah, what? Like a door hinge? Like, what does that even mean? Um, Absolutely. the The hinge is the best recruiter of... All the posterior chain musculature from a big, like, movement perspective that we just don't do anymore. And if we look again, if you want to look at the evidence on what makes low backs feel better, what makes shoulders feel better, not all pain is managed the same, trust me. But like, for 80% of people with back pain, getting their hamstring, their ass, and their low back stronger can really help set them on the right path. And how do we do that? We do hinge patterns. Squats great, you still have to get out of a chair. But if I'm going to make something like loaded heavy, we call this our KPI. What's like the thing you're going to do that's the hardest? We're going to make it a hinge. We're going to make it a pull, something for the back part of the shoulder. Again, why? Well, number one, everything in our life is in front of us. Me talking to you on this computer is in front of me at this desk that is in front of me. My steering wheel is in front of me. The TV is in front of me. Where do we go? We're just forward, right? So not that posture is bad. The best posture is the one you're going to take next. That's the reality. So sitting is not inherently bad, but sitting for 8 to 10 to 12 hours and never doing stuff the other direction can potentially become problematic. Number one. Number two, if we want to talk about shoulders, shoulders are starting to surpass the low back as the thing we see as the most like injured, eye hurt area. And not only fitness facilities across America, but also in medicine in rehab facilities. I've seen it a lot over the past two to three years. Probably because people didn't have to like leave their house to go to work anymore. We're just on Zoom calls all day. And if you look at the evidence, what makes the shoulder generally feel better? It's doing a lot of pulling. So in the hierarchy of if I'm seeing someone, they haven't worked out a lot. They have these chronic pain points. What am I going to emphasize? Hinge and pull. And then the next like criteria down, single leg stuff, because we spend 70% on one leg of our life on one leg. And then we'll squat, but that's like more basic getting out of the chair, squatting. Like we're not doing heavy base things, but we double down on the posterior chain. So everything that back line, the stuff, none of us train cause we can't see it in the mirror has a lot of evidence behind it. When it's stronger, you just tend to do better in a lot of other areas.
1: Mm-hmm. I just think that's such powerful information for someone who like myself, came into the gym uh, into moving intentionally ever in my like in my twenties, and so I had no understanding. I don't know how many years in I was before I heard the term hinge, and certainly had no idea what the hell anybody was talking about. And then to come to understand what you're saying and now really get it and be like, oh my gosh, you know, I I did understand a squat easier faster, so I did a lot of that, and but not understanding the importance of strengthening and one of the huge focuses uh, which I guess we're just going to head there now is glute because I have clients that have glute focused goals. So what better way to learn about a thing than to test it on yourself. And as a result, I have just have so much more education to gain about the topic, but I've really come to understand how freaking important intentionally strengthening your glutes truly is and how intentional you have to be to even get those things to wake up. I remember for for years when I was in CrossFit specifically exclusively and going to a, an affiliate and, and I would have a, a, a coach come over and be like, girl, you don't even use your glutes. Like you, they aren't even, t- I can watch you squat. You don't even turn those things on, you know? And I mean, I'm, I'm like, huh? Oh, <laughs> Okay. Uh, I have no idea. I take it given tone that that's like not a good thing, but I don't understand why I even need them to turn on, much less how to get them to turn on. That mind-muscle connection takes a lot of coaching and a lot of, time and energy. It doesn't just happen overnight. So by now I understand certain things I can do before I work out in my warm up to activate those bad boys so that they can actually do some work. But I do want you to touch on, because you you really did spend some time on it in the cert too. And so that showed me that you understand why they're so important. Why is it so important to have strong glutes?
0: Well, I mean, here's the reality. Big and strong asses save lives. Like guaranteed. <laughs> um,
1: what a wonderful bubble. thing for all those women out there just trying to get a big ass. Yeah. I
0: mean, that's that's the thing though. It's, it's funny. I, I have a couple opinions on this. First of all, I think the pendulum has swung. I think a lot to it's like booty, 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 and it's like, well, yes, but don't forget about the hamstrings, the adductors. Like I still think we don't train adductors enough, but that's another story for another day. Um, mm. you no, know, glutes are an interesting thing, and, and I think there is some some misnomers and stories about it. Number one your glutes are never off. If you are standing, your glutes are on. If you're walking, Mm -hmm. your glutes are on, right? But we have these words we use, it's like, man, your glutes are off. And it's like, people understand what that means, like, but they're not off, right? They're on. Um, Mm -hmm. But we do know, again, we're talking about what? Well, if you look at something like a cadaver in anatomy, look at where the glutes are. They are at the back part of your body. They are literally in the center, this part that connects your hips up to your pelvis, to your low back. They have massive connective points in and around the femur or your hip, in and around your pelvis, in and around your low back. So they're this posterior stabilizer. There's this posterior power and strength producer of effectively like the entire lower body. Now, again, getting strong glutes doesn't fix all problems. That's just mm-hmm. another reality. But for a lot of people who sit all day, it does. And here's why. When you sit, the electric, electrical activity of your glute is effectively zero. Like it's not on. Um, so this is where you have people that just don't know. You talk about the mind-muscle connection. Like they don't know what their ass feels like. So we're bridging and our hamstrings are cramping. We're bridging and we're not feeling anything. doesn't mean our glutes are off. But we know like the way bodybuilders think improving the connection from your brain to an area helps you just fire up that area a little bit more um, and then a good friend a, a good friend of the ppsc you know uh, uh, acquaintance of john so i mean if you look at breckin charris's work um, in and around how important glutes are i mean he has written literally the textbook on it um, it's mm-hmm. not going to save your life 100% but we do know in terms of functionality it is a fairly undertrained area um, really just in a lot of people, honestly. And like, honestly, who who doesn't mind like having a nice looking ass? Right. Like right. people that do, it's like, hey, you must work out. Like you must train. And it's this big supportive structure for the entire center of your body, which gives you just better abilities through kind of everything else that you do.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I I actually, I, I got to befriend him last year as a result of like doing this homework, uh, from, from having clients that have those curiosities. So consuming it myself. And then he's been such a good, uh, source of information for the topic. And I love how much of a nerdy is. It's really cool. Uh, okay. So you also mentioned on the pull that pulling is super important, but you also reference in the course, there are different patterns for the pull too and how it seems to be that like rowing in the hierarchy of needs maybe comes above pulling from overhead to like a pull up versus a row. And can you touch on that and why
0: 100%. the direction so of the we, pull is more important. Yeah. So we have this, we had this um we had this suggestion on ratios. So And again, we don't have a textbook that says this. We just have lots of clients and hours and patients and experience that say, hey, you know what? You should pull horizontally two times more than you pull vertically, meaning like a seated row or a bent over row. Do that more often than you do like a pull up or a lat pull down. And really, here's the reason why. Um, Number one, the most injured area in the gym. The number one reason why people leave the gym in 2023 is the shoulder. The shoulder hurts. When we look at shoulder mechanics, raising your arm from your side to 90 degrees, when you do that, like all the motion and stability just has to come from that shoulder itself, the glenohumeral joint, the ball on the dolphin's nose, if you will. Nothing else happens. As soon as we hit 90 degrees, well, what now has to happen? Well, your shoulder blade has got to rotate up one degree to every two degrees that this moves. Your collarbone has to downwardly rotate and rotate backwards. Your thoracic spine has to extend. Basically, there's all this other stuff we call scapulohumeral rhythm, which is a fancy way of making yourself sound smart, right? There's all this other stuff that has to then occur for me to go overhead. So that doesn't mean don't do it. It's just the prerequisites are higher, and most people don't even have them. If you go back to this weekend and you look at coaches and overhead access and overhead mobility – you know, I'm looking around the room, and I'm like, mm, it's not, it's not fantastic. And this doesn't mean don't go overhead. It's just like, don't wonder why your shoulder hurts when you're cranking all this overhead stuff, and wonder and being like, oh, I'm just gonna either work through it, or I'm just my shoulder's cranky, and I'm just gonna never overhead press again. When it's a lot of times, we just like double up those ratios, um, and yeah. it solves a lot of problems.
1: That was a bit of information that I actually didn't have prior to this that I'm like stoked to have. Thank you for that. That's helpful for my programming for myself and then, of course, for my clients. And then from there, that was actually kind of my biggest takeaway personally was a couple of things about movement patterns and how our bony structure is individualized, which means that the way in which my stance exists for my squat or my deadlift, or my, you know, my push motion for my bench press, my push up, whatever, is actually more individualized than I, as a fitness professional, even understood. Now, I knew that there was some individualization to it, but I will say, you know, I come from group fitness, and so I spent years where you got to coach a group of individuals at the same time, so there's like this general thing that works best for most-ish, But it's not super individualized. So all of the testing that we did to find our stances, to find our positions for our pushing for our shoulder health was wildly helpful even for me, just because as I've gone through the years of pushing the way that I was taught to push, I turn everything into a shrug and I'll cause my shoulder to get cranky. And so mm-hmm. it was just a great education to understand that like our bony structures are all different. And so actually, even there are some, like you said, like there's some general things that go well for most, you know, uh, it's an individualized experience, like, like highly individualized. Is there anything that you would like to like add to what I've said about that? Because that was a huge takeaway from the experience for me.
0: Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. It's like You know, 60% of the time, this works for 60% of people. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. well, what about the other 40%? Um, I think as a general rule in health, fitness, wellness, therapy, a lot of people pick positions that may feel comfortable to them. And I think that's important for us to recognize. Like, What feels comfortable to the person versus what makes sense based on their ability and skill? So, you'll see this a lot. I mentioned this in the course. You'll see this a lot at the level of the shoulder. There are a lot of people that selectively choose their elbows next to their sides to do push ups because, well, yeah, anatomically, like when you do that, you tighten up the front part of your shoulder. We call that the anterior cap. So, basically, you get to hang out and use like non adaptive structures versus muscle to do the thing, but it allows you to do the thing and feel strong doing the thing, right? And then you get like this chronic shoulder issue that eventually pops its head up. It's usually like biceps, tendonitis, rotator cuff, cranky shoulder. And the For answer is- For those of you big, who are
1: not watching, I need you to know that I have raised my hand like four times <coughs> since he's saying this. This is me, guys. You, There are going to be people listening that relate. Please keep going, but this is me.
0: And it's not so much that it's like, hey, um, you shouldn't do narrow push-ups. No, we, we want to train all angles because life is all things, right? But it's like, can we find what your body tells us we should be at? So it's not like, hey, prescriptions are bad if you don't do them. Go see a therapist, waste your time, lay on a massage table, get the bluey, the blue gooey gel, get a massage and like never do anything and feel better. No, it's just put yourself in a better position. And this is why everyone should have a coach. I have been a coach for 20 years. I still have a coach. Like I refuse to do stuff for myself because I know better, right? Mm -hmm. Right. but being able to put people in just positions that make sense for literally what their anatomy is based on. So for those people listening that aren't coaches, it's like find a coach that can help you and realize that you are individual. For coaches listening, it's like realize that all of your clients are going to be pushing and pulling and squatting and hinging out of probably different positions based on one of two things. Number one, bony anatomy. You will never change that. But number two things that are adaptable, like soft tissue muscle is adaptable. So for example, if I've got tight hamstrings, we can adapt that and increase my range potentially, if that's a goal of mine over time. If I have someone that has a bony anatomy that tells me I have to live on this highway when I do heavy pushes and pulls, I'm just going to put them there because that's going to be their strongest position every single time. Um, the problem that happens is I think with most of our baseline education, and I get it. Like baseline, it you got to start somewhere, right? Right, um, right, And even with like, when I took my boards to be a doctor, you take your boards, you get into the real world and you're like, I am going to forget 80% of what I learned because it doesn't apply to like the human sitting in front of me, right? But you have to start somewhere. And most of your textbooks will tell you a squat is feet shoulder width, toes forward, and that's how it has to be done. When 90% of the time, that's how it doesn't need to be done. And the thing that's even crazier 80% of humans have a right hip that is from a bony perspective different than their left hip. So yes, mm-hmm. quote unquote, asymmetrical squats, meaning from the outside, right? If we looked at the level of the hip, we talked about this weekend, it would be like, boom, we'd be equal, right? i um, looking at those more asymmetrical positions tend to be more common than just the feet, shoulder, width, toes, forward. Every push mm-hmm. and pull. Narrow elbows, and, and the reason we know this, like things start to hurt. So then people get told, "Don't squat, don't push up, don't do this." Like, fine, go get in the pool, do something less loading. And it's like, no, we just we just have to coach and figure out better for that person.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so I want to talk about aging because it's so important to you, and you actually told a story during the sir, that was like super near and dear to you about fragility, frailty for your own family. And so do you mind sharing that here and then kind of talking about some of the things you're passionate about it and maybe like what somebody who has a look at life and their later on years and trying to figure out how to stay out of that or how to get out of that? What would you say? i love there? to tell
0: that story. I, I might have a little bit less energy than when I was telling it uh, in front of those people because I was, I was fired up, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: Big first, first things
0: first. First things first, and I apologize for the language here, but like age is not a fucking disability. Like that, period, end of story. And the reason we know this is, man, you I mean you got 90 year olds running marathons, you got 20 year olds that can't walk up the stairs. Like, period, end of story. This narrative has to move away from I'm older and therefore I shouldn't do certain things. No. No, the best thing is the thing that makes sense for you as a human. Um you know, I tell this story how the aging process, the the positive effects we can have on people, like hit home hard for me. Um, and I'll give the condensed version. So it was, uh, we were living in New York City at the time. Uh, I got a phone call from my dad. Uh, my dad's like, hey, I'm going to take your mom to the hospital, which is never good. And come to find out, uh, he took her to the hospital because she wasn't able to get out of bed for the previous day and a half to two days. Um, so he takes her in. Uh, they aren't really able to find much wrong with her. They just label it as like a stress reaction. Everything looked good. Um, come to find out, she wasn't able to get out of bed for about a year after that. She was on bed rest for an entire year. Lost about thirty to forty pounds. Um, you know, I would I would call her, see how she was doing, and you know, every time we talked, she'd always talk about how she couldn't live like this anymore, and she wanted to kill herself. And that was like the conversations we had had for a full year. And at the time, you know, she's 64, 65 years old. Um, not that that's old by any means. It's just, you know, so you don't bounce back when you're sick at 65, like you do when you're 15. Like there mm-hmm. is some like, as you get older, things just get harder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, we made a move back to Rochester and... I finally convinced her to come in and to uh, to try some you know some therapy, just kind of some conditioning, and she agreed to only come in and see me. And I worked her harder than I have worked, I think, any patient I have ever worked with in my entire life. Like I've worked professional athletes, I don't work them as hard. Like she worked hard, mm-hmm. and um, you know, an amazing thing happened. So she used to always feel like she was out of shape. This was before she got sick. Um always used to feel like she was out of shape, complained she could never swim very far. So she'd swim a lap of the pool, have to rest, and then she'd swim back. like she could do that. And this was pre her getting sick. And um you know, a couple months into this process, we're working hard. She's starting to maybe turn the corner a little bit. But the day that was like a light switch for her was this day she sends me a text sent with confetti, like praise Jesus emojis on the iPhone. And I'm like, okay, something really big happened here. And she's like, hey, I want to let you know, I went to the YMCA today. Uh, I haven't tried to swim in a while because I didn't think I was able to do it. And, you know, I got in the pool and I swam today for a half an hour. And I swam and I did not have to stop one time. Whereas, like, before therapy, before she got sick, she was, like, not even able to do a lap. Yeah. And, like, that was the light bulb moment for her. That it went from, like, I want to kill myself. I can't do this. I'd rather just not be on the earth than have... The quality of life that I had, which was she had basically zero quality of life, and that was the moment she's like, "I can, I want to, I want to go get another job. I want to be around." She's got um, eleven grandchildren now. At the time, I think it was like seven or eight. She's like, "I want to be around for my grandkids." Like I had a successful moment doing something I wasn't able to do before, and f- that physical experience was a jump start to the rest of her life she could deal with like we talk about being like healthy and wellness and like going to the gym and kicking ass like that's great but really that means I can be a better human father husband podcast host like whatever I have to do in life I get to do that when I can do physical stuff well and that can be a jump start to just like having a better quality of life in terms of longevity because here's the reality we're all going to get older Like that's just every single day goes by and we're going to get older, but we have control over how that aging process goes. And in fact, we know getting strong, lifting weights, going to the gym, like we can reverse some of those chronic disease states. We can reverse some of the things that tend to happen um, with aging and it's powerful. It's just, it's not a pill, right? If exercise were a pill, it'd be the most prescribed medication ever in the history of humankind, period. Right,
1: right. This, uh, I just last weekend, well, the weekend prior to, so two weekends ago, I went to visit my aunt and uncle that live in Houston and they are wonderful. And my uncle has been seeing a trainer since I came to visit last summer and he got up off of the couch without using his hands. And he, he's in his sixties and he said to me, Hey Claire, I just got up off of the couch without using my hands. Did you see that? Like I can do that again. And I'm like that is and I said, you know what we call that? Reverse aging. You are literally reverse aging right now. <laughs> and it's just such a cool moment because like you said like we being young still, you know, get to performance focused stuff whatever, but at the end of the day, like literally being able to pick stuff up and down, get yourself up and down, put stuff over your head safely is like the primary focus of all of this stuff that we're doing for longevity's sake. And it is so powerful.
0: Imagine for a second being someone who can't get off the floor and who lives alone and is therefore scared to like participate in life because you know if you fall, you can't stop yourself. And if you do yeah, fall, terrifying. you can't get off. The floor. Like just imagine being that person. Like it, it is terrifying. You know, yeah. imagine being like, I can't go out of the house because I can't last more than 10 minutes. Just like walking in the parking lot. Into mm-hmm. the store, and like we all. I think you know we tend to take our health for granted, and we really shouldn't. Like every day, thankful for what we have, um, yeah. and realizing that just like movement and exercise, it's it really is the best medicine. Um, yeah. You know, one thing I want to throw out there, and this is again just a a Justin passion point, if you will. If you go to therapy, physical therapy, the goal is to leave better than you were before you started because where you were before you started is why you're in therapy in the first place, Mm -hmm. right? So we get lots of people that come in and, hey, what do you want to do? I just want to get back to doing this. That's not good enough. You need to be better than that because I never want to see you again. Mm -hmm. Um, Health, wellness, fitness, really no different. The goal is always better, and I don't care how old you are. You can be better. You can get stronger in your 60s than you were in your 50s, than in your 40s. Shit! If you're doing the same stuff with at 65 that you were when you were 35, that's getting stronger. Like as you're getting older, being able to maintain the same like bench press, squat, deadlift, or something like that, that's still getting stronger.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that actually leads me to the fact that that we before we started recording again, guys, clearly we had conversation. It was we talked about healthcare and where you want to see it go, and I'd love for you to kind of quickly touch on that too, of just you've experienced, you know, you've been a clinician, you've worked seeing tons of patients a day and you've transitioned to a bit of a different form of delivering this service now. And your wife has experienced something as well because she's a pelvic floor specialist, right? And so with y'all's experiences, you've really seen the ins and outs of the system and You've got some aspirations I really like that I even think are like already starting to occur. And so, yeah, can you just kind of touch on like what that looks like?
0: Yeah. So I, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, like it's not a healthcare system. So I think it's important to say like your doctor, whoever's listening, your doctor does generally care about you. Mm -hmm. The system does not let them. That's the reality. The people in medicine that are in medicine are generally good people for the most part. We got into it because we want to help people.
1: Yeah. I think that's an important message. A lot of people really really struggle with trust there. That's a very important message.
0: But here's the challenge. Um, If I'm a doctor and I've got to see 50 patients a day, because that's the requirement because insurance doesn't reimburse enough for me to see less, which means I have to keep the lights on because there's that many sick people. It's like, how good can I really be giving each person I'm seeing three to five minutes? All right, so there's stats around this. Your primary average primary care physician in the United States gives each patient about three minutes on an office visit. How am I supposed to help you with all of your chronic disease related issues in three minutes? I just can't, right? Okay. Um, if you look at like we talked, United Healthcare. United Healthcare is just underneath Apple and Amazon as one of the richest companies in the entire world. You know, giving their CEO another yacht and another house but not paying for basic medical services that people generally need. Um, And we have a system where our insurance companies are more beholden to their shareholders than they are caring about the outcome for the patient in front of like me. And I know this because I've been on the phone with multiple healthcare insurance adjusters. I've got a patient 15 years old, post-op knee wants to go back to playing sports and you know, their insurance only has 15 visits. Like I get it. That's, That's the maybe the one their parents' company could afford, the one they could afford. Like, I get insurance is not, you know, it's not cheap. Um, But, you know, I get on the phone and it's like, hey, this kid, he's at 15 visits, he's doing well, but like, we still have this to go. And they're like, well, he's at less than four out of 10 pain. That's discharge criteria for most insurance companies. He can walk at least a mile, which means he can go to and from school and he can go up and down a flight of stairs because he answered all that thing on his questionnaire. So we don't cover anything else and then it's like if you're setting that like 15 year old up to where they're being forced out of therapy at a lesser level than where they were before you can't wonder why you're then paying for their diabetes medication when they're 30 years old you can't wonder why they're having cardiovascular disease at 40 at a risk for a stroke at 45 when that probably started by getting hit down a notch when they were in their teens Mm-hmm. But when it becomes about money versus the outcome, this is what happens. Um, you'll see this every year. Health insurance companies raise their costs one to two to three percent every single year, and by the way, they cover one to two to three percent less services on the back end every year. Like it's kind of an unsustainable model. So again, this is my bias. Um, I don't. I have insurance. Like I have catastrophic insurance. But I don't really go to the doctor because I don't need to. I would rather go pay someone cash to give me the time that I know will be helpful to me, uh, the time I feel like I deserve as a patient, and basically getting out of this sick care reactionary system and be more preventative on our healthcare. And that's really the other crazy thing: if you just do go to Google and research prevention of this disease, like we know we can prevent a lot of these issues. Evidence supports it. But it costs money to do that. And insurance companies don't cover that. It's sad. Healthcare cover, you know, one to 2% of their billions of dollars goes towards prevention. One to 2%. (laughs) And it's like if we put a little bit more emphasis on the prevention of disease, um, we would not only improve the quality of life of every single human in America. You would actually spend a lot less money downstream when they're 40, 50, 60, 70 because they never got the thing in the first place.
1: Right. Right. and I really do think there are more and more healthcare providers out there that are coming to understand this idea and starting to offer a different model. Uh, like we talked about before, like one of my very good friends that that graduated recently from physical therapy school over at the Mayo Clinic, and she came back home to work and is doing cash, you know, with with clients, and and I love it. I see these stories from her clients that are like they really feel like she's making a real difference in their lives, and and then in my own experience, you know, knowing that whenever I had previous experiences where I saw the provider that was available through the insurance, whatever, versus when I went and paid out of pocket for something different my results were very different in those experiences.
0: Can I tell a story real quick? We me a little bit of time. Yep, go. My first ever physical therapy experience, I was 18 years old. Um, I had signed a um, scholarship to go play soccer in college. Uh, full ride for four years it was awesome. It was about eight weeks before preseason was starting. So it was my last year of club soccer. And we were playing a local professional soccer team here. Um, And I got my knee. I got taken out from the side, and I remember in the moment, like, oh shoot, I I tore my ACL. My knee was swollen; I couldn't put weight on it. Um, so, end up going. Thankfully, did not tear my ACL. I had a I said partially torn meniscus, but they were confident I could just rehab it. It would be it would be fine. So the docs are like, hey, I want you to go downstairs, downstairs, and go get therapy. So visit number one. I sit on the table the whole time. Person like moves my knee around. And gives me this whole sheet of exercises to go do to rehab my knee. Unbeknownst to them, I'm still training in a facility. And I'm training with and training elite to high level athletes. So I have my sheet of paper, I look at it, and as I'm in the car, I think my mom was driving me back to the gym and I'm like, this is easier than everything I'm already doing and the stuff I'm already doing doesn't hurt. So I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing, which is literally like squatting and deadlifting through less range with less load. Like getting in and doing some aqua running, like doing things we know that are, are fairly obvious, I would think in rehab, but like generally worked. Um, go back for my second visit. My knee's feeling decent. This is like a week later. And I remember I walk in and my therapist says, hi, go get warmed up. Didn't ask me how my knee felt, nothing. Just go get on the treadmill and warm up. Because she was seeing like eight other people at that time. Right. So I go, I go over to the treadmill and in my head, I'm an 18 year old. I have a Cooper test I have to go past in about four weeks. So two mile run in under 12 minutes, right? So in my head, I'm like, I need to go prep for that. I'm not thinking about my knee. I'm just like, I got four weeks till preseason starts. So I go and I run like an 11.30 two mile. And my knee felt decent. Like I limped a little bit, but I'm like, that was pretty good. And my therapist walks up to me and just berates me and yells at me in front of everyone. Like, why did you do that? I never told you you could do that. I look at her and I'm like, you told me to go warm up. So I warmed up, and then we proceeded to do. I think I did like a kettlebell deadlift with the fifty pounder, and I looked there, and I'm like, I pulled four oh five yesterday morning on a bar, and this is like a waste of my time. And I never went back. Um, and the reason I bring that up, like, I think, and I asked this at the course this weekend too. I love therapists. I don't want therapists to think that I'm just sitting here shitting on them. I am not. They are good people. It is a hard degree to get, and we serve a very valid purpose. But the system that we work in just doesn't really allow us to succeed and therefore doesn't allow our patients to succeed it really doesn't and i remember asking everyone this weekend and on like how many of you had been to therapy i think every hand in the room went up uh, and i had asked generally how many of you felt relatively under challenged like you you maybe could have been pushed a little bit harder or you were doing better on your own and i think it was the same amount of hands and again, I, it's not the therapist's fault per se. It's just a system that doesn't allow people to be pushed and be wildly successful, unfortunately, because yeah. of the volume that's required.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, oh, gosh. I'm sure everybody listening is just going to be like, well, I relate, you know, in some way to one of these stories. It's, it's going to hit a lot, it hit home for a lot of people, whether it's themselves or someone that they care about. So, okay. So we do have to wrap, <laughs> unfortunately, as much as we could easily keep going. I mean, you gave solid information for 17 hours and I'm sure I had more questions. So this is not fair to only just try to package it up here, but I sincerely appreciate what you have managed to deliver in such a short period of time. And just the fact that you've chosen to like, do that here. That means a lot to me. So thank you.
0: Of uh, course. Let's do uh, it do again. Like-
1: yeah, yeah, right I'm, I'm down. We can get we can get specific too. So I know that I had a lot of like responses about knee pain, and and you've got thoughts about knees that would be great to share. But we have to wrap here. We got to, we got to do this. So okay, I want to know. I always like to finish out episodes knowing what are three things that you are grateful for today. They can be simple.
0: My daughter, my wife, my health.
1: Three Those good three. things.
0: Like yes.
1: I love it. Okay. I'm going to be a little bit, I say mine as well. And I'm going to be a little more long winded. Sorry. Uh, three things that I'm grateful for. The first one is a phrase that I was taught a couple of years ago that I like live by and it is long-term. We don't make long-term decisions. Based on short term emotions. And the reason I'm bringing that up is just because last night I had a really hard conversation with someone that I care about. And in that moment, I just really appreciate that I was taught that tool. And I'm not saying I always knock it out of the park and perfectly adhere, but either way, to have that understanding now that like how my emotional reaction feels to the way that this individual is interacting with me maybe isn't what I actually want to do here. So I'm grateful for that tool. I'm grateful for sunshine and warmth being in Austin. It's really warm right now in, in March, that or I'm sorry, it's only February. That doesn't feel fair. Uh, and then I'm also grateful for cold therapy. I have been doing that every morning, a few minutes in the, in the plunge every morning. It's just, it's a cool way to start my day. So I'm grateful that I have access to resources where I have the opportunity to get to do that. That's really cool. So
0: Same. My cold therapy is I just literally go outside every morning for three minutes.
1: That's it. Sunshine and warmth. And you're like, yeah, just literally walk outside in New York. Walk outside.
0: No cold (laughs) plunge needed.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Well, hey, thank you so very much. Like I said, for your time. Guys, all of his information is going to be in the show notes. So if you want to start to consume more from Justin, you would be just abundantly blessed to have the opportunity to be coached by him in person if you ever get that opportunity. Uh, but just follow along with what they're doing. They're going to give you a lot of access to a lot of resources that are going to positively impact your quality of life. You have done that for me since I met you a handful of days ago. So I appreciate that. And, uh, other than that, we just hope that you guys have a beautiful day.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.